0: Welcome to the Declaration Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message from Pastor Matt Koppelman. For more information about Declaration Church and other resources, visit declaration.org. Morning. I'm uh, glad you're here. I'm glad to be here this morning. There's no other place I would rather be than right here today, right now, with you. I'm excited to be here. Um, If you would, if you would turn your Bibles with me to John chapter 15. And we're going to continue on our... <laughs> was that... Oh, if you are a fifth and sixth grader, would you please leave? And you are welcome to go into your fifth and sixth... That was like a UNT call, wasn't it? That's pretty good. that's <laughs> pretty good. It's John's fault. Um, about 10 days ago, uh, my family was caught up in the annual frenzy, which is March Madness. Are you excited about this? A few of y'all, that's good. Um, Well, call. yeah, there you go. Um, They weren't in the tournament, sorry. Either of my Aggies. But anyway, um, my son is the real encourager of this whole process in our family. He's the one that just is excited. He prints off all these brackets. He comes home and he's like, let the smack talk begin. Fill out your brackets. So we've got immediate family We've got some extended family. We have some friends of my, my kids, and they all fill out their brackets in hopes of having the ability to have bragging rights for the next year. So we do this. It's a wonderful thing. I think each one of us in my family have, has experienced victory over the past number of years. My daughter won for a couple of years in a row, I think, and she just liked the colors. I don't know, maybe the mascots. It was great. Um, but she did a great job, you know. Um, It's very hard to do a good bracket, and the reason is, at least for me, is that I don't keep track of all these basketball teams. I mean, my son kind of does, but outside of the top five, eight programs, the big programs, I have no idea how these teams are doing, if they're any good, if they deserve their ranking or anything like that. I mean, 64 teams make this tournament, not counting the playing games, which if you are a purist, does not count. So this year, I wanted to do things better. I wanted to do things bigger. I wanted to be really, really good. I did not want to be clueless about all these other teams. So I went online, and I got some assistance. I found some steps that if I followed them, if I abided in these steps, I would have an incredible March Madness bracket. I could take bragging rights from other people in my family. I could squawk all year long, right? It was all but guaranteed to me. So, I want to share these with you so maybe next year when you fill out your bracket, these will help you. Number one is this. I think I have them up here. Forget the number 16 seeds. They have never won a game in the tournament. Never. Right? Never. Number two, forget the 15 seeds as well. They have only won seven times in 120 tries. Forget those 15 and 16 teams. Number three, Top seeds are not always top dogs. All four number one seeds have only made the final four once in 2008. Thank you, Villanova. I had you winning the whole thing this year. <laughs> number four, pick a 12 seed to upset of five seed. It's a virtual lock that a 12 will win a first-round tournament game. Thank you, Middle Tennessee State. It was great after that. I was living large, man. Number five, keep a coin handy. Those eight, nine games are a toss-up. You really don't, man. You just don't know. Number six, pick a school in Virginia that no one outside Virginia could place on a map. Like George Mason, VCU, these are examples of this. You're like, where in the world is that on a map? And number seven, lastly, remember, talent wins the tournament. Yeah, right. Duke has the most talent in the country, and they were out in round two. Game Gamecocks did beat them. Well, I know, man. Live it up. It is great. They beat Florida today, and they're in the final four. And Mark Odom said he would buy breakfast for everybody. I'm just kidding. He didn't say that. <laughs> but, you know, in most years, these, these um, steps, these guarantees, so to speak, um, hold pretty true. Um, it's it's kind of fun to come up with a strategy of a winning bracket, but of course this year, three days in, my bracket was toast. It was good for starting a fire in the backyard. But now that's great for NCAA basketball. If you're a fan, even if you're not a fan, it's kind of fun to do this, and it's great for this to try to find a strategy that's going to make you a winner. But what about other areas of our life? What about our spiritual lives? Is there a way that we can ensure a thriving or abundant life as a Christian? We might call this a life of producing fruit or a sanctified life where we are living more and more into Jesus every day of our life. Can we find a guarantee to do that? There is a guarantee to produce these things in our life, in our Christian life. As we will see today with another I am statement, Jesus tells us, how to thrive in our lives. Now, as we'll see this today, we're looking in the book of John that there is a way to be fruitful and thus glorify God. Now, remember, just to refresh your memories a little bit, John, and we're covering these I Am statements, John is talking about in this whole book, his whole theme is found in the latter part of the book, which is kind of unusual, and it's John 20, verse 30 and 31, and it says this, and truly, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing, you may have life in his name. Did you know that that word believe is the Greek word bestuo? and it's found no less than a hundred times in this gospel by this writer? In fact, someone challenged me one time to lead someone to the Lord without using the book of John. It's very difficult to do without making a lot of assumptions. Now, if my wife were to write me a letter and tell me that she loved me and she used the word love a hundred times, don't you think I would realize that's pretty important? She kind of loves me. This book is important when it comes to believe. He's saying this. So let's pick up in verse one, and it says this. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered and they gather them and throw them into the fire and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and that shall be done for you. By this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit. So you will be my disciples." Let me ask you, when I read that, did you notice any tension in your body, and your mind when, you, when I read that? If you did, hold on to that. We'll address that in a few minutes. Let's look at verse 1. It says this, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Jesus often refers or describes the vine as the nation of Israel. He does this in Matthew 20. He does this in Matthew 21. He does this in Mark 12. But he starts out this passage here, and he's saying He is the true vine. And how important it is to get to know him and to think of him as the true vine. It's not about religious affiliation. It's not about tradition. It's not about rituals. It's not about things we do. It's about Jesus, the giver of life. He is the true vine. He goes on in verse 2 and says, Every branch in me that does not bear fruit he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit he prunes that it may bear more fruit. The first question is, what are these branches? What does this mean? Well, the branches are believers. Let me explain that. Jesus refers to this mutual indwelling in John 14. He says this, On that day you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. We also need to know that, we also need to ask the question, who's in the room? Who's the audience right here? What's the context of these verses? Who can tell me? Anyone? Bueller? Where are they? Are they on a boat? It's getting close to crucifixion. Where were all these guys hanging out? Upper room. Okay, I gave it to you. All right, next one's gonna be on you. It's the upper room. Right? Judas has already left the building. So his present audience are 11 disciples. Not just Christians, but disciples. Disciples are much more committed and obedient Christians. The words, in me, that he uses here are used 16 times in this book. And every time, it refers to a genuine relationship between Christ and believers. So the branches here are believers, not unbelievers. We're talking about Christians, and we read this, it says, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Now with that, we kind of scratch our heads a little bit and we say, well, what is all this taking away? What is all this pruning business? I mean, I'm not, I don't think about this. What is he, what's he talking about? Well, understand that verse two, he is not contrasting believers with unbelievers, right? He's contrasting believers or um, branches that do bear fruit and believers or branches that do not bear fruit. So he's talking about Christians here. Let me say this. Fruit bearing is the normal and expected consequence of a Christian, but it's not inevitable. Galatians 5, Paul uh, exhorts us that since, we live, that since we live by the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. It's not a given that we necessarily will. Jesus taught that some believers in him do not bear fruit with the parable of the sower in Luke 8, in addition to this passage here in John 15. Fruit bearing is the normal, but not the inevitable consequence of the Christian life. And this is true in grapevines as well. Grapevines have branches that bear fruit. They also have some branches that don't bear fruit, maybe for a season. They're growing stronger so that someday they will bear fruit. There can be genuine life without fruit on the vine. There can also be a Christian who is not bearing fruit, but he's still a Christian. Every farmer knows this, that there is life in this vine, in this plant without fruit. It's not necessarily healthy. It's not necessarily preferred, but it's a possibility as evidence in this text today. So that's clear, that every branch in me that does not bear fruit, these are people in Christ, Christians who are not bearing fruit in their life. Well, what happens if we don't bear fruit in our life? Well, it says he takes it away. Well, that's an unfortunate translation. In the Greek, it's the word Iro, which means to lift up or to take away or to take up. And we're looking at this word, context determines its meaning. Uh, the same word is used 26 times by this author in this book. In fact, let's look at a few of them. In John 5, verse 9, it says this, And immediately the man was made well, took up his bed, and walked, and that day was the Sabbath. Now, took up is a much better translation there than lift up, right? He lifted up his bed, Well, yeah, maybe, but took up is a little bit better. Uh, John chapter 8, verse 59, says this, They took up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out to the temple, going through the midst of them, and so passed by. That's a much better translation of that word. It wouldn't be lift up stones, right? They took up stones. You see that this determines this. John eleven forty one 41 is very interesting because the word is used twice in the same verse. It says this, therefore, or then they took away the stone from the place where the dead man was lying, talking about Lazarus, and Jesus lifted up his eyes to the father. So lift up is a much better use of the word in that context. He says, Father, I thank you for you have heard me. I've lifted up my eyes. You see how context determines this, the meaning of this word? What does it mean in our context here? Well, I think lift up is a much better translation. It's important, I I say lift up because it's important to understand horticulture of that day and even today, really. A few years ago, Stephanie and I had a chance to go to Napa uh, and I have a great picture of this I think, and it's a, um, it's a wonderful example of a vine being lifted up. On the right, you can hardly see it unless it's really close. There is a vine there, and, and it looks a little bit better on, the, on my computer. But anyway, you can see where the vine is being tied on to another branch. Or the branch is being tied on. It's being, it's being lifted up, okay? So it's a much better example of this. It's common in the springtime, to go up lifting branches that had begun to droop or to drag towards the ground. The vine dresser would do this. Um, you see, young and new branches on a vine have a tendency to kind of trail down the path of least resistance, kind of go down and gr- grow along the ground. And if they're left there, they'll attempt to send out shoots to a ground that is very hard, which lacks moisture, and it tries to grow there. But it gets all dusty and it's dirty and it doesn't, it's not good, not conducive for growing. So the vine dresser does not come by there and see, well, these vines or these branches have gone along the ground. I'm going to cut them off. That's not what he does. They're too valuable to do this. He doesn't cut them off and throw them away. He prunes it. He cleans them up. He lifts up the vine, the branches and maybe wraps them around a trellis, maybe ties them to another branch, and pretty soon these branches are thriving. So they don't cut them off and throw them away just because the branch has wandered down a little bit. They're much too valuable for this. So knowing that, this context lift up is a much better translation when not bearing fruit. What does it say happens when we bear fruit? Well, it says every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Another common practice of a vine dresser or a farmer would take place in this vineyard is pruning. Pruning. Now, you might do this in your own backyard. You go back there, and you may prune some certain types of, of bushes or plants in order to bring on greater growth. And that's what, he's does, that's what he's talking about here. Pruning is the grower's single most important technique in ensuring a plentiful harvest and more fruit. In fact, there's another picture I have of literally a guy pruning the vine. That's what he's doing. He's going through there and he's pruning and he's saying, I need to cut some of this stuff off and and this this branch is gonna grow even better. That's a great picture of that. Kind of distorted. That's a Chardonnay vine there. I'm just kidding, that's what it says. Um, But these disciples, his disciples in his upper room would have understood this. I mean, there's commentators will talk about maybe they walked through the garden there and, and, and they were, you know, maybe even Jesus was, had pointed some of this stuff out, and this was written in the springtime, so these these disciples would have known this. So pruning in our life, it might be godly discipline. Um, It could be the maturing process. It may be life experiences that you have gone through, and because of those things, that you are more mature now, that you have come out of it. You are made stronger. Pruning is not always fun. It is necessary and according to Jesus here, this will happen in our lives. Because left alone, a vine will favor new growth over more grapes. And you look at it from a distance and you might see this great, incredible, luxurious green vine. But then up close, you would see an underwhelming harvest. Because the purpose of a vineyard is to produce grapes, not grapes, not Beautiful green branches, it's to produce fruit. His purpose in pruning our lives is to cut away immature commitments, let's say, or lesser priorities so that they will make room for even even greater glory in God. It's necessary. If necessary, God has a way of removing that which needs to go or that which is in a position that only God should occupy. Does that make sense? If necessary, God has a way of removing that which needs to go or that which is in a position that only he should be in. I bet every one of us here can tell stories of pruning in our life. Or maybe not at the time, but afterwards you look back and you say, God was cutting some of that stuff away so something bigger could happen. Let's read on, verse three, he says this, you already are clean, you are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. In John 13, uh, just a few chapters before this, Jesus tells the same audience that they're not all clean. He's talking about Judas. But then at this point in 15, three, Judas is gone. He's been identified, he's left. So what is left in the room are disciples. And he uses this word as an imperative. Abide in me, he's telling them, this is not a suggestion. You need to abide in me, guys, because when I leave here, later on, it's gonna be hard for you and you need to abide in the vine. You need to abide in me. It's the imperative word. The word Greek, the word uh, for abide in Greek is the word uh, meno, It means to remain close or to stay connected to. It's used 40 times in this gospel alone. So it's important. This is the action of a disciple. It's staying connected to the vine. Branches, and hear me on this, branches that abide in the vine share the very life in the vine. Branches that abide in the vine share the very life in the vine. That is the life we need. And when we abide in Jesus Christ, when we are obedient to him, that is the life that we can experience in our life. Verse 5 says this, I am the vine. He says, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. And what does that mean, you can do nothing? Does it really mean that there's nothing good that I can do? Is that what it really means? Think about this in terms of that in Christ, there is nothing that I can do that has lasting spiritual significance, right? For example, the the fruit of the Spirit only comes in my life by by abiding in the vine. Fruit in our lives comes by being connected to Christ. We are abiding or staying connected to Jesus The significance or the fruitfulness is far greater than I can do on my own. And it has lasting spiritual significance than I can ever imagine. That is the much fruit he is talking about in verse 5. Now, we see a lot of good deeds in our culture, don't we? We see a lot of people doing a lot of good things that we would call them good. um, Feeding people, providing clothing for people. Those are good things. Um, just yesterday, my son was involved at a big event at A&M. It's the largest student service project in the country. Hundreds, I would say thousands of, of kids, go out around the community Brian Bryan College Station. They do all these different service projects for people. And it's a great thing. But the difference of producing good works outside of Christ and the fruitfulness by abiding in the vine is the difference between being a humanitarian Versus a minister on mission. Does it make sense? There are a number of people that would call them humanitarians. But how many people can say, I'm a minister on mission with God, doing his will because I'm abiding in him? A far lot less, I would say. For example, I work for a company, it's a Danish coatings paint company. We are owned by a foundation. Half. Of All of our prophets go to third world projects, service projects. That's a great thing. That's a nice thing to do. But it has no spiritual significance. There's nothing that is not being done from a basis of Jesus Christ. That's being done because we're humanitarians, which is great. But there's a difference between that and being a minister on mission with God. Does that make sense? The big idea is this. If you are abiding, you are thriving. And chances are in your life, if you are thriving in your life, it's because you are abiding in Jesus Christ if you are a believer. We are happy. We are bringing glory to God as we will see in verse verse seven. If you are abiding, you are thriving. But how do we abide? How do we stay connected to the vine? Well, really, it's pretty easy. It's being obedient. It's easy to say, but very hard to do at times. It's moving closer to him every day of our life. I'm saying yes to him and no to things that need to go. Let me ask you this morning, is your life thriving? And if your answer is no, and if you want it to thrive, the answer to that desire is abiding in Jesus Christ, being obedient to what he is asking you to do. Now, it'd be wrong of me to not address verse six and at least say something about it. This might be where you felt a little tension when we first read this. Verse six says this, if anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered and they gather them, and they throw them into the fire and they are burned. Well, when we read this, it, many see this as believing that Christians who aren't abiding can lose their salvation. Or maybe they, were, they never had it. I mean, it says right here, they're thrown out to be burned. They're going to hell, right? That's what it means. Jesus said it right here. That's not what Jesus is saying for a number of reasons. This is part of the extended metaphor that he's talking about with the fruit on the vine. First of all, this would go against so many passages in Scripture because it would make performance, it would make works, or producing fruit, a way to keep your salvation. It's a way of saying the cross was not enough. You have to produce fruit in your life to, to keep it. And that's not true. The cross was enough. Or some people look at this and they say, well, this is a way that I know you're a Christian. In addition to that, there are verses that counter this idea, but we didn't go, need to go no further than Ephesians chapter 2 which says that salvation is by grace through faith, not of works. That's all the air, place we need to go. Let me ask you a question. Could anyone tell me, when stud, what's the most important thing to think about in, the, in your mind when you're studying God's word? Tell me, what, does anybody have an idea? What would that be? Have you ever, has someone ever said that? I'll give you a hint. It's the same thing as real estate. What is it? Come on. Location, location, location. Context, context, context. Jesus here, as we've mentioned before, he's talking about committed believers. He is in the other room. Jesus, Judas is gone. You cannot say, well, Judas is there. No, he's gone already. Do we really think that these guys in the upper room, that if they did not continue to bear fruit, Jesus would say, well, you're going to go to hell. Sorry, Peter. You know, that whole thing about you produce some fruit, then you quit, you're going to hell. Or that whole denying me thing, you're done. These are the most committed believers on the face of the planet. He is not telling them that if they do not continue to produce fruit in their life, that they're gonna be burned in hell. Doesn't make sense. That's not what he's saying. So many times in our Western church, we take this on, this task of fruit inspecting to determine if someone is a Christian, we might see a lack of fruit in a person's life and think, well, they did really well for a while in high school and then college. That was crazy. And then, boy, I don't think they're a Christian anymore. They've lost it or they never, they never had it. There is not a place in scripture where we are commanded, exhorted, or even suggested to be fruit inspectors to other people. It comes down to you and the Lord. You know if you are saved. The Lord knows if you are saved. I can look at your life and say, well, you profess Jesus and you do good things, that's great, and that's a, um, what I would call an indication, but I'm not going to stand up here and say, you're not saved or you are saved. I can think, yeah, they probably are. They really look like they have a spirit-filled life. Ultimately, that's between you and God. It is not a litmus test for me to say you're a Christian or not. Zane Hodges said it this way. He said, how strange that in our day and time we have been told that so often that fruitlessness is a sign that a person is unsaved. Certainly we do not get this from the Bible. Rather, the Bible teaches that unfruitfulness in a believer is a sure sign that one is no longer moving forward, no longer growing in Christ. It is a sign that the Christian is spiritually sick and until well again cannot enjoy spiritual success. That is right on. When readers see this verse, they see hell, unfruitfulness, well, they're going to hell and they make, this verse fit their theology rather than interpreting this verse in this context. This is an example of allowing theology to determine exegesis rather than exegesis to determine your theology. This is the fall process. This is a natural process that happens in the vineyard. It's a part of being in that culture. Don't take the literal burning. No, don't take the burning literal. It's incidental to the whole fall process in a vineyard. His audience would have known this. But we in the Western church, we see this and we're like, oh no, I better keep producing. Conversely, what about the result of abiding? What does it say in verse seven? It says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. By this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples one of the benefits of being connected to Jesus in an intimate fellowship and in close fellowship with him is answered prayer. This verse has been a stumbling block to many Christians because it appears that you just ask a blanket, there's a blanket promise there that whatever I pray for, God's gonna do it. Really, it's a blank, blanket, blanket promise to the abiding Christian. An abiding disciple will ask for those things that are in harmony with what God is desiring. As Jesus did, Father, your will be done. The wishes of an abiding disciple are the same as the desire of Jesus in their life. It involves intimate harmony and union with the Lord. Those prayers are answered. Another benefit of abiding is that it says here that we bring glory to God in heaven. We abide in his will. Notice the connection between abiding and being a disciple. It says, if we are abiding... Being obedient, we're disciples. In John chapter eight, Jesus says, if you are abiding in my word, you are my disciples. Being a disciple requires abiding in him, bearing fruit, and if you are abiding, you are thriving in your life. So let me ask you the question this morning, are you abiding? Are you staying connected to the vine? You know, I've found that in my life, I don't need more information to abide. We need to be, I need to be more obedient to where God has me and where he is taking me. We are way educated beyond our obedience. Isn't that true? We know. We know what God wants us to do. We know what his word says and we know this way we need to be moving. He's telling me these things. He's moving, wooing me. He's moving me this way, but I don't want to go. We need to be obedient to what he's moving us to do. I know a lot about what I should do. What I need is obedience to act on what I know. Because here's the deal. We don't want to stay like this. Those are baby vines, baby branches. We all start like this. But we don't want to stay like this, do we? We want to do the next thing. That's what we want to be. We want to be branches in a vineyard that is full. We want to grow. Ephesians 2 tells us that we were created for good works. Being fruitful, doing good works happens when we abide in the vine, which is Jesus Christ. As the worship team comes up, I wanna ask you a question. The question is this, are you abiding? And if you are not abiding, what areas of your life are you not abiding in? Only you know this. Are there sources or are there other vines that have you have attached yourself to that take the place, which are cheap imitations to the true vine? You only know those things. I said this earlier, that God has a way of removing that which needs to go or that which is in a position where only he should be. That's part of the pruning process. We've all experienced this. There Part of this process is that, that there are areas that might be good things that we need to say no. I know this is a good thing. This is a church thing, but God wants you here. And so we have to say no to good things, even as well as things that are detrimental. These are, there are things that are, only, that are taking up space that only Jesus Christ needs to be. And, and instead of attaching ourselves to these sources that will never satisfy, we need to attach ourselves to the vine that will truly never leave us thirsty. In John 21, after the resurrection, Jesus appears to the disciples. He's on the shore and they're out fishing and they're not catching anything. And he tells them, hey, throw your nets on the other side of the boat. And so they do this. And they catch so many fish, they cannot even bring their nets into the boat. And look what happens next. In John 21, it says this. Therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. Now, when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, which he had removed, and he plunged into the sea. I see this act by Peter as reckless, abandoned to Jesus. He cannot stay away any longer. He is all in. He has jumped in. This is a breakthrough in Peter's life. Maybe he left behind the doubt that he had. And now there's no area that he does not want to be abiding in the vine with. Because he was up there in that room and he heard this. And my challenge to you, it's to do what Peter did. I want to challenge you to jump into fully abiding in Jesus Christ. Not because you're worried about losing your salvation, because that will never happen. But because you want a life that is full, and you want a life producing incredible fruit, and you want a life that glorifies God. That only happens in a relationship with Jesus. Are you at a launching point where you know that you need to fully trust in Jesus? Are there areas of disobedience that you need to turn over to him? I want you to turn up your obedience. Leave behind the doubts that you have, any fears that you have of what it might look like when you fully are obedient and abide in the vine. Because that can be scary because we don't know what it's gonna look like. But my encouragement to you is that you can trust him. He's never gonna let you go. Replace any source that you are connected to and replace it with the only connection you need is Jesus Christ. Put your foot on the bow of that boat like Peter did and you jump in because he is okay. He will sustain you. He is trustworthy. You know, maybe you're here today and you're not really a church person. Maybe you came because someone invited you and you wanted to be nice. I get that, that's fine. I'm glad you're here. Maybe you have never, never entered into a relationship with Jesus Christ, and maybe you don't really want to right now, but, or maybe you do. Maybe you just want more information. Maybe you just want someone to talk with you or to pray with you. There's going to be people on the side and the back of this room, prayer partners, that would love to pray with you, love to answer any questions you have. But we're also going to do this this morning that we do. And we do this out of obedience to Jesus. Because he told us to do this. This obedience thing runs our whole Christian life, doesn't it? It is always there. And we do this out of obedience knowing that he was full and he made himself broken for you. And we also know that he emptied himself for us as well. And we do this to remember him out of obedience. Would you please come? We're going to have stations up here to serve you. Communion, Lord's Supper. Would you please come? If you need prayer, come to the back of the rooms. Come as we worship the true vine. Thanks for listening to the Declaration Church podcast. We pray many blessings over you and your journey as you declare him to the nations. For more podcasts and teachings, visit declaration.org. Slash podcast.